0: of the earth. You are the Lord who makes wars to cease, and you are the Lord who does bring desolations. And so all that we think and say and do in this time, we would do self-consciously before you, knowing that you are the Lord who gives and you are the Lord who takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Make this time to be profitable for us, not just for our learning about historical events and the involvement of one church and others, in a great national tragedy, but also use this time that we would all learn that we might be better servants when tragedy strikes in our areas. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This is one of my most priceless mementos. New Yorkers will tell you that September 11th, was marked as one of the most beautiful, gorgeous days in its beginning that you could imagine. Uh, Somewhat like Los Angeles, it's rarely all that clear in New York. September 11th was unusually clear. On that day, I was supposed to have flown to Atlanta, Georgia early in the morning uh, for a board meeting of the Great Commission Publication special meeting, but arranged to leave at 9.10 instead of 6.10 a.m. Flight was changed, and my son Christopher, 17, and for his first experience in his life, drove to LaGuardia Airport. he just gotten his full license. It is September 11th, and we're driving to LaGuardia on a beautiful day. It was a day that was so beautiful you could almost reach out over those um, seven or eight miles or so to the World Trade Center and grab those large towers. As you are in the northern part of the borough of Queens where LaGuardia Airport is, you can look straight down on the towers. You have one of the finest views from the highways going into New York. I think one of the most eerie things about the early part of that day, as I look back, I'm a, you would never know it from how long I preach, but I really do look at my watch once in a while. And I had checked my watch as soon as we got to LaGuardia Airport and noted that it was 8.46 a.m. Went in and there was not a lot of people at Air Tran getting ready to go to the gates that time of the morning. Most people had left earlier. And so it was easy, since I had no baggage, to check in, go to the gate, and so forth. And when I got to the gate, which was just a little bit before 9 o'clock, there was a kind of an eerie tension that was there. People scurrying around, speaking on walkie-talkies, exchanging information. Normally, airports are relatively calm, but this was just not quite right. And then about 10 minutes later or so, there was even more scurrying around and an announcement that there was a communications problem at the World Trade Center now by that time both the North Tower had been hit by a jet and the South Tower had been hit by a jet that happened within about 17 minutes of one another the first at 846 and then the second at 902 so we were told there was a communication problem which is very unusual because basically the World Trade Centers were the communication hub from Manhattan Island with the antennas that were there and also the uh, um, the setters the for cell phones and so forth. And so that was kind of an odd thing to say. We were told that there'd be a brief delay in the flight, but then about 10 minutes later, we're told that there would be a, a delay until about noon in the flights. Well, I had to be in Atlanta for noon, and it was a one-day meeting, and so I went up to try to find out what I could do to get my money back on the ticket. And just as I was going up, the announcement was made that everyone was to evacuate the airport. None of us knew what was going on. As we were going out, there was a man, a shoeshine boy, was sitting rather placidly there, and I asked him what was going on. And he said, well, I say that the World Trade Center towers have been hit, and I also say a plane went down to the Pentagon. Uh, but again, in New York, you can ask people things, and you can get any kind of answer depending on with whom you speak. As we went out of the central terminal, there's three terminals to LaGuardia. There's the uh, Delta Terminal, U.S. Air Terminal, and Central Terminal. And as you come out the far end of the central terminal, which is where we were, you look straight down on the World Trade Centers. I'll never forget the sight of seeing the towers, one actually eclipsing the other, uh, in flames with black smoke billowing out on that very clear day. Uh, The term that was used by people that were there, and these are thousands of people filing out of the airport, is that it was like being in a movie. It was surreal. That's exactly what it was like. It was that kind of technicolor look on that day. Very eerie to see uh, bomb-sniffing dogs in the uh, parking lot at LaGuardia Airport, Uh, see the police. We really were not sure whether the whole of the city was under attack, whether the nation was under attack. We didn't know whether there'd be a bomb that would go off at LaGuardia Airport because nobody knew at that point what was happening. And of course, that was true of the people in the city. Uh, People down at the World Trade Center area who were leaving their buildings had no communication. In many cases, they could not see for a while. They had no idea whether the whole city was under attack. People who were in Midtown near the Empire State Building feared that that building was going to be attacked as well. So there was a numbed sense, a chaotic sense of numbness, if you will, at the time. We knew that this was a a time of great tragedy, but you're in a a, a, a tremendous amount of shock. Thankfully, I was able to arrange uh, to get over to the budget rent-a-car place and get a car coming back. Had I left the car at the airport, it would have been there for days. And, of course, had I gone to Atlanta earlier, I would have been stuck there. An amazing providence of the Lord to be at the airport on September 11th. As we were on the shuttle bus, people doing anything they could just to get away from the area, we were over the bridge over the Grand Central Parkway looking straight on at the World Trade Center, the North Tower. The first tower that was hit was the last one to go down. The second tower that was hit was the first one to go down. The North Tower was still standing But at 1029, you could hear the announcers saying the tower's falling, it's falling, and nothing will ever erase from my memory seeing the tower, which was really, the towers were sort of a a very, very, very strong wire cage almost that was encased, uh, the outer material that kept it together. And it was designed so that when it fell, just one story would fall on top of another. And that's exactly what you could see. You could actually see this, sort of like vertical dominoes going down on top of another. At the same time, a huge gray banana-shaped plume of smoke came up. The World Trade Center was there one moment and it was gone the next. It was an utterly unforgettable sight. I will never, ever forget it. You dream about it for days, if not weeks afterwards. I was finally able to make it home. And, of course, during the day, after consoling the family, they didn't know if I'd been in that plane. Uh, They wondered if the airport was going to get blown up. And you begin thinking pastorally about people who work at the World Trade Center. And as the hours and later the days went on, amazing stories came out. And you've read them secondhand, but as a pastor of so many of these you get them firsthand. One of our girls, Denise Torriello, the sister in law of our associate pastor, was in the building right across from, one of the buildings across from the World Trade Center. As she escaped from her building, um, only to see smoke rising up from the Uh, The North Tower, the first one that was hit. As she looked up, she could see people that were falling from those stories, uh, whether it be 70 stories, 80 stories, 90 stories up. And she had nightmares for well over a month, things that she will never forget. She wishes to this day she had never looked up at those things. Uh, One of our men had worked with the Port Authority and was not infrequently at the World Trade Center. The World Trade Centers were owned by the New York Port Authority thankfully found out through his wife that that was one day he had not gone into the World Trade Center. His work was actually at LaGuardia where he was involved with the people who were searching for the bombs. Another one of our men who worked, a man actually who got many of these pictures, was down in that area, thankfully got in a bit late. He would have been near the Trade Center area, but he was able to. He got there a bit late and just turned around. And he said when the tower collapsed, when the first tower collapsed, as he looked out of his rearview mirror, Um, You could see certainly smoke that was coming, but almost in an instant, everything was filled with a cloudy, grayish, yellow smoke that enveloped everything in the lower part of Manhattan. And remember that the people who were fleeing for their lives did not know where they were going. It was a thick fog of smoke that was around them. There were people that had prostrated themselves on the ground. They did not know what had happened. It was just sheer, utter chaos. Well, what was amazing was to find out as the time went on that none of our people was killed in the the explosion. Uh, There was one lady whose picture is in the booklet, Terry McCabe, uh, whose uh, husband Brendan was in uh, one of the upper stories of the South Tower. And I wonder what that must have been like. She knew from the television that the North Tower had been hit her husband was in the south tower and I think the 90th floor or whatever. She could not get in touch with him on a cell phone. And you think, could he have escaped? Did he get down? And more people were actually killed from the south tower. And then to know your husband is in that tower and have it collapse. Now thankfully, there were at least remnants of his body that were found some weeks later. But you've got to imagine the anguish of people going through this. One of the great comforts that came in that day Of course, by the end of the day, we're searching the Internet trying to find out what we could. And I was astounded at the number of emails that came, most of which I copied and kept. But these were things that meant so much by way of comfort. I cannot overstate to you how important your communication is with people when they go through trial written communication. One of my friends, Jeff Thomas, who pastors a church in Wales, sent a more general post out to his friends and in it, he said, I'm writing, I am writing all this circling around my mind, the terrible events of the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. I'm wanting to express my affection, admiration, respect, shock, and pain. What can one say? I had to write a few emails to some American friends immediately and just say, so sorry, so very sorry. And that was what Jeff sent in his personal email. Sorry, so sorry. What else do you say? It was my grief, too. I had to call some friends here and say, have you heard the news? Are you watching the TV? It was live on every channel, hour after hour. We watched CNN live from New York. This is indeed a global village. Where would we be without America? Would we have come under the domination of Hitler or Stalin? We certainly would not have been free Europe without America. We are under American influence and they are under ours. Our security and danger are as keenly felt in the U.S., as theirs are felt in England and Wales. Indeed, there now seems to be far more honest loyalty to British laws and institutions in America than there is in Britain. The shared legal heritage remains with its associated habits of adversarial government, open discussion, and public spirit. And so too remains the basic loyalty which goes back to our Shakespeare before the Declaration of Independence was signed. The demise of America would bring incalculable loss to Great Britain. The attack on New York and Washington this week was an attack on a political tradition, noble ideas of constitutional government and common law, which are British basic freedoms. The heaviest of spirits hangs over us and it will be weeks before it will be lifted. We're so sorry for what happened. We grieve for you and we pray for the American church at this dark hour. God bless America. Jeff Thomas, pastor of Alfred Place Baptist Church. Abarest with whales. I can't tell you what words like that meant when you're going through trial. Just the fact that there are brothers and sisters that love you and are praying for you. Remember those who are in bonds as bound with them. And that is a matter of weeping with those who weep. Nobody knew early on how many people were killed. At the World Trade Center, when things are at their peak or were at their peak, there were 50,000 people that worked there. And it, in my opinion, it is a mercy of God that there were not more people killed. I am still astounded that there were not more people killed at that time. Architects who were familiar with the way the World Trade Center was built marvel that after all of those thousands of gallons of the most powerful fuel for detonation that we have, exploding and incinerating that building, that those buildings stayed up as long as they did. I'm not going to call it a miracle, but it was certainly a wonderful hand of God's providence. In a given day at the World Trade Center, over 150,000 people went through the doors. It is amazing. If this had happened at noontime, when windows on the world was full of people, people were lined up to go in, in the lower areas there would have been far more people killed. And so even with all the desolation, it's a mercy, more were not killed. But 50,000 people's jobs were displaced. And there were the jobs of thousands of others that were displaced as a result. Over 350 firemen and policemen were killed in the city. One lady in the church in Franklin Square said after our prayer meeting on Friday, I lived through Pearl Harbor. And she says this is far worse than Pearl Harbor. And it was, because this is our own land. It was really invaded, not with a solitary bomb, but in a terrorist attack unlike anything that we've ever experienced in our lives. I cannot overstate to you that the shock of that day lasted far longer than any of us ever expected. When you have bereavement for one person, the shock period is shorter, and then there's a disorganization period and reorganization. Our shock period lasted for months. The shock period, I think, really didn't end until May 29th when the last beam of the World Trade Center was taken out. You really didn't believe that this had happened. What do you do when you're in shock? Well, you do an awful lot of things that in the end don't seem to be a whole lot, but you try to do something. And so we planned, as many of you know from the post that we sent out, to make arrangements with the resources that we had to provide counseling where it was necessary, to provide diaconal assistance where we could to do anything to deal with people to seek to present the gospel to them. One of our griefs is that we really didn't get to minister personally to a whole lot of people, although it was a good experience for us to realize how we should function when times of trial like this come. And so we did seek to minister to some people, but most of our ministry really came individually to people that we knew. One of our ladies in Franklin Square, Gina Liesfeld. Is, works with United Airlines and is a manager of crews on a number of the planes. Two of those jets that were destroyed in that day, the one that went into the South Tower, the second jet, and the one that crashed north of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, were Gina's crews. She was personally responsible for those crew people that went on those jets. And for weeks, Gina was involved flying throughout the country attending funerals where she could hopefully speak a word of grace to those families who were bereaved. One of our young people in the church, Melissa Balci, had a friend of hers who lost both of her parents in the World Trade Center disaster. One parent who worked in one tower and another in another. And this picture will somewhat epitomize what the Spirit was in that time. A woman with a picture of her husband wanting any information about them. How horrible it must have been not to be able to say goodbye. We were in a period of tremendous shock for a long period of time seeking to minister to people and the ministry was not at all what we hoped it would be, but the Lord did bless and largely through the gifts that you gave did allow us as time went on to deal with some of the families that were nearby. We realized as time went on that we needed to isolate our efforts in some way. North of us in Garden City, where our brother Jolt lives, 100 people were killed. This was a great area for people that worked in the financial district we were told basically we're not interested in people coming in here all kinds of groups were wanting to get into Garden City where there was so much money to supposedly help out people Garden City people told us to basically stay out but in Franklin Square it was different there were seven families in Franklin Square who would lost loved ones in the World Trade Center disaster the Chamber of Commerce had put out an appeal for funds and we had told the Chamber of Commerce that we had funds that we could use to assist, uh, but that it was our conviction that we did not work through an entity like that. We would do our work as a church. And we were very thankful that the Chamber of Commerce gave us names and addresses and information on the families and said, please, do whatever you can to help out. Probably the most touching of the examples is the example of Michael Kiefer, who was killed. He was a New York City firefighter. He was single. His father worked across the street from the World Trade Center and watched the tower go down in flames, knowing that his son was in it. As a result of this trauma, he is not presently working, still traumatized by the event. Uh, Diana Hensel, whose picture with her little baby is in the booklet that I'm passing around, was the one who was most receptive to the ministry we're able to give. And you'll see a thoughtful note in there of how uh, she responded to the ministry that we were able to give. So we were thankful to the Lord. We really were very thankful. It is amazing that there were not more of the people in the various Reformed churches in our area who were killed in the World Trade Center disaster. Between Redeemer Presbyterian Church, uh, a few so-called independent Reformed churches, uh, a United Reformed Church congregation, the Orthodox Presbyterian churches, there was only one family that that lost a loved one in the World Trade Center disaster, and that's Terry McCabe. And my most precious time of ministry, as far as dealing with believers, uh, was when Margaret and I were able to get to Terry's home and be with their four children. Their little daughter had gone to sleep by the time we got the picture that's in the book. But it was wonderful just to talk to Terry and learn how God had upheld her in His grace. You really you sense that God does something so special when people go through that kind of trial. And so we did not go to Terry's home to minister to her. We were richly ministered by one who was upheld in this time of trial. Now let me give you four lessons that we learned, because this is what John had asked that we do, and then throw it open to your questions. I'm sure you've you've got many. I wondered what we learned through this, because it's my opinion that a number of us are going to go through this in the future at the prayer meeting that we had on the Friday after September 11th, one of our elders who led the prayer meeting who lived through World War II, said, you need to realize that our nation is never going to be the same again. And our nation is never going to be the same again. We're in a totally different era of war. We are in an era in which we're going to have to learn from Israel and from Northern Ireland what it's like to deal with terrorism. And so, in my opinion... While we may not see something on quite the order of the World Trade Center, destruction by jets, you and I are going to see terrorist attacks in our lifetime. What lesson should we learn? A few months after September 11th, I preached a series of four messages, some biblical perspectives on our recent national distresses, and that develops a number of various themes, and through the church in Franklin Square you could get that series. But let me call four things that I think are more useful for you individually, at least lessons to learn. First lesson is that the root of our idolatries is far, far deeper than any of us could ever imagine. I really think that's the first lesson that I learned. We are all far more idolatrous than we want to admit. The World Trade Center for New Yorkers was a symbol of man's dominion over the earth. I described it like that for my own children, and it was. Those two 110-story towers representing a hub of world financial activity and a communication network unmatched anywhere in the world were exactly that, a symbol of man's dominion over the earth. But there is a in line between acknowledging that and worshiping and serving the created thing more than the Creator. And I and my fellow New Yorkers had come to worship those things too much. They were a symbol of our prowess and power as New Yorkers. And for literally months after September 11th, I would weep as I would see the New York City skyline. It was like your great-grandfather had died And there's an empty space where he used to sit. At Christmas time, one of the families in the church gave us a gift. And they said, we want you to open this up last. And the husband's an avid photographer, and we knew from the shape that it was a picture. And we figured it was a picture of the family or something like that. But he said, you open it up last. So people being under authority, we opened it up last. It was a huge picture of the World Trade Center. Looking at it from the west the Hudson River. And the whole family, not so much Elizabeth, but the seven olders of us just wept. That's how much we'd made an idol of the Twin Towers. But brothers and sisters, God's order is to dash our idols. And He did it dramatically on September 11th. So that's the first lesson. The roots of our idolatry are far deeper than any of us can ever imagine. And the only way you're going to learn that lesson is when God dashes your idols. It's not a pleasant lesson, but it's a good one. The second lesson that we learned on September 11th is that our main needs are not material ones. Now, we are deeply appreciative, and I mean this, we are deeply appreciative for the financial gifts and the notes that came to us in Franklin Square. The notes that many of you wrote, the gifts meant so so much to us. We read them. In some cases, we were sent letters and pictures from uh, to be given to the firemen. And we we were one of our elders is a is a a policeman, and he had was at the communications center that was reestablished down at Ground Zero for several weeks. So he had an in to get your, your cards and notes to the fire department and and the policemen down in that area. But we got um, several packets, actually, of of cards from Holland. Herman and Ellie, you'll appreciate this. And I love the sense of communion of the saints. These churches that have fellowship with us in the OPC knew that they had an obligation to encourage us. And so we got a letter from uh, one of the Christian schools in Holland. Dear people of the OPC, the disaster which came over New York and Washington was all over the news. We can hardly imagine how it must be to live there and see the pain and grief every day. We want to pay our condolences and tribute to everyone involved in this. I am the teacher from Group 8 of this school. The children are about 12 years old. They have made cards for the rescue workers and policemen. I hope you can give them to some of those people, and we did. If not, I'm sure you can appreciate the gesture. With the children, I want to say that we think of you and wish you all you need. We pray to the Lord our God to keep this world in His hands, to comfort all of His people who need comfort, and to be there with His help. Please understand that we try to write our feelings in another language. So please forgive the mistakes in this letter. We didn't need to forgive anything. What a beautiful expression of love. Show that our main needs are not material. What are our main needs? When people go through trial, they've got to have a perspective on unspeakable tragedy and affliction. People have got to be able to give to those going through trial and affliction a right perspective on what they're going through. See, Job's friends didn't give him a right perspective on what he went through. God did. And it is only God that can give a right perspective on things. And all of the gassy, sentimental, romanticized statements about living in a good world, don't really help people a whole lot when they're bereaved over a loved one that they never got to say goodbye to. And it's only in the Scriptures that you can give that kind of an answer. I highly, highly recommend to you John Blanchard's booklet, Where Was God on September 11th? Because that's what people ask. Where was your God? And John Blanchard gives an excellent, excellent dealing with that question in, where was God on September 11th? Read it yourself and give it to others. But your basic answer is in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want affliction? How about descending into hell? Not spatially, but enduring all of the punishment for all of His people. You want injustice? Christ was put to death by lawless hands. You want false accusation? Look at what was given to Christ. Our God revealed in Holy Scripture faced the deepest depths of human tragedy and sorrow and conquered it. And that's the only message that will really satisfy people. That's the main need people need have. People need a sense of community. How we learned that. We were made to think as a community. Our whole ministry in Franklin Square has become different and will continue to become different because we've learned That there's this community that God has put us in that really needs the gospel. I'm sorry to say it took September 11th for us to learn that lesson. And people really need a message of life after death. Because when they're facing death, you've got to be able to tell them of everlasting life. And so our main needs, brothers and sisters, are not material. People have life insurance policies and investments. And yes, there were people that needed material things. But we learned the main need first was not material. Third thing that we learned is that tragedy really has a way of bringing together genuine Christians who don't dot their I's and cross their T's exactly the way we do. Now, as an Orthodox Presbyterian, I believe in dotting my I's properly and crossing my T's properly. But I realize that the Orthodox Presbyterian Church is not the only church with Christians in it. And I realized that there are many believers from other different communions who have different convictions. The week after September eleventh we opened up the church, as many did, and we had people that came in to pray and speak with those of us who were there. And we got statements like, You know, I'm a Christian. I've walked by this church building for years, working at the hospital down the way or the nursing home down the way. I never knew you were here. I never knew you believed the Bible. I never knew you believed the gospel the way we did. And it was an opportunity to give people literature, and we didn't sit there and say, do you believe in election? That wasn't the time for it. But it was a way for us to be with other believers and realize that we're not the only Christians around. That was a good lesson. A very humbling lesson. My great passion was that we'd be able to take that nearly $100,000 that was given to Franklin Square for diaconal work, and as the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Franklin Square had a deep and rich ministry to people who had been affected by the World Trade Center disaster. But we realized after months it wasn't to be. All the people that we dealt with either were not interested or were getting help from someplace else or really just didn't need that kind of financial assistance. Redeemer Presbyterian Church in America, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, has really been on the front lines dealing with this. They have dealt with people, thousands, hundreds of them, who have been far more immediately affected by this, who don't have the help. In the New York City area, it's been more difficult for some people to get assistance. And I really had to swallow my OPC pride, and that's what it is, very hard. When it came to the point as one of the elders in Franklin Square that I realized that that money probably would be best used there because they're going to need over $500,000 in order to meet the very genuine needs that come before them. And we've checked with Redeemer and we are confident that they bring the gospel to people and give out Christian literature. They don't take the view that we just do diaconal work and expect by deeds we're going to show Christ. They do speak Christ to people. And again, they don't dot their I's and cross their T's exactly the way we do, but they're doing things that we can. It was a way of reminding us again that tragedy has a way of bringing genuine believers together. The fourth lesson is that the ministry that you have in times of trial really is going to come from people you know personally. We think of the groups, we think of the numbers, we think of the communities hundreds and fifties and dozens, there were more people killed on September 11th from Nassau County than were killed during the whole Vietnam War from Nassau County. And you think of that, and your heart goes out. You want to minister and help, but you can't minister to generality.
1: Your greatest
0: ministry is going to come to people that you know personally. Those neighbors that you know who've lost a loved one in a tragedy. Those friends that you have who notify you that their son or their daughter has been killed perhaps in a terrorist attack or in a war. Those are the real effective ministries that you have. My most effective ministry was on September 11th. As I came out of LaGuardia Airport, a woman named Barbara from Atlanta who had to stay overnight the night before planes had been grounded because of electrical storms, it was so clear the next day, I was petrified. This woman was a basket case. And she clung on to me, at least metaphorically, because I was from New York and at least knew where I was going. And so it was a privilege to be able, once I got the rental car, to take Barbara to relatives that lived somewhere in that area and be able to console her with the gospel at least to remind her again that this Methodist background that she had she should get serious about. That was one of the two most effective ministries that I had, at least to unbelievers. The second came when we were at the budget rent-a-car place. Barbara noticed a girl who was in a corner who was just cowering and weeping. A girl named Natalie from South Africa. Natalie had flown from South Africa, the first 17-year-old girl, the first time she'd ever been out of her country. She'd flown to Kennedy Airport alone. She'd arrived just a few hours before, had gotten a shuttle bus to LaGuardia Airport and was waiting for a flight to Dallas, Texas when the events of September 11th came. No relatives, no, no parents here, very little money with her, had never been to the United States of America not knowing what to do we were able to take her to our home where she participated in our family worship, where Psalm 46 became very special to us. And where particularly my wife was to speak to her about the Lord. We got calls. She, of course, notified her parents in South Africa that she was safe. And then we got calls later that week, later that day. Natalie's mother was a Christian. Natalie's mother had prayed that when her daughter came to the United States of America, she would be surrounded by other believers. Natalie had lived with a man, had had an abortion, and was a psychological basket case. What an amazing way for God to answer prayer. Those are the kinds of ministries that the Lord will give, personal ministries that are incomparable. So there is no substitute for personal ministry. So my challenge to you would be to realize that throughout your lives, God is going to give you the opportunity to minister to others going through great trial. You can use for help a book like Paul Tripp's Suffering. Eternity Makes a Difference. This is one of the books that we use with the families in Franklin Square to help them get a gospel perspective on the trials they're going through. But brothers and sisters, there's no substitute for ministering to people that you know. You've got to know them over the years, kind of like the situation you're dealing with with Joan. You know her and you can speak to her and death is going to come to her. And thank God there are believers like you who can speak the truth in love and say, let me give you a little framework to understand human tragedy. We live in a world of sin and of wickedness. It is an abnormal world in which bad things happen like the blowing up of towers. But our God is in control of all things. And our God is so in control of all things that He takes even the worst of evils and turns them to good. And the proof is the cross of the Lord Jesus where even death itself is put to death by the death of Christ on the cross. And When you can present that to people, that's the best kind of ministry the Lord will give you. And quite frankly, if it takes us September 11th to do it and to teach us those lessons, then it's a good lesson that God does work all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to His people. So it is 13 minutes after 5. We have to be done. Your, Mr. Adsit, at what time? 520, ah, this is amazing. I'm actually done early enough that people can ask questions. So you better savor it, folks. It doesn't happen very often. Bill, what flight were you booked on? I was booked on Air tram flight number three. No, flight number two fifty three. That was to depart at nine fifty nine. Originally, I was supposed to leave a little bit before seven. Yes, Olga. You know, that's a good question. The question is, whatever happened to Natalie? She's back in South Africa. The last that we heard, and, and I, asked my, I asked Margaret, my wife, this before. I said, what have you heard? Because Margaret's the one that's followed up on this. She said, well, I really, you know, I, I've got to respond to her. I've got to owe her a letter. Now that homeschooling's done, I can do it. The last we heard from Natalie is she would pretty much shut down on things. This woman, this was overload for her after everything she'd been through. Um, so we've simply been praying that the Lord will use her. Mom was a very committed Christian. Other relatives who are very committed Christians to help her out, but it's going to take, humanly speaking, it's going to take Natalie a good long time to work through things. But that, but I appreciate you asking. We will follow. We're going to follow up on her, and uh, but you really should pray for her and for Barbara as well. who's back down in Atlanta. I don't talk. I haven't communicated with Barbara for a while either, uh, but but do pray for them. Yeah, Jerry. Um, said that no one in Franklin your church can direct love to Yeah, the question is about Terry McCabe. Franklin Franklin Square, Manhattan Island is here, and here's Queens, and here's Brooklyn. We are in Nassau County, which is a 15-mile stretch of of county coming out of Queens. Terry is in Suffolk County. She's about 50 miles from where we live um, in West Sayville area. And she's part of, the, of a United Reformed Church congregation. But we families knew her because um, that is right in the area of our Bohemia congregation. Yes, Joe. Oh, yes, yeah, Joe, the the question about emergency services. We have a number of people in the uh, nurses, I don't have any doctors, but we've got several nurses in the church in Franklin Square and healthcare professionals. And on that day, they were all marshaled to go to hospitals. They expected that all the hospitals right into Nassau County were going to be inundated with people. Remember the figures, 50,000 people. And you're thinking to yourself, these are 50,000 people who are bleeding, who are wounded, with broken bones, with trauma. I mean, literally, and to give blood that day. We went down to give blood, and we were told just leave and come back in a few weeks. We've got too many people giving blood. Nobody came. You realize (laughs) these people were pulverized. The the body, There were 4,000 body parts that have been found Remnants of fingers and toes because of the desolation that came here. And that stunned people. Yes, sir? <laughs> no. No. No, we did not. We, the question is, did people flock to the churches? We didn't find that in our area. And I think it's fair to say on Long Island there was maybe a little increased attendance. That was primarily, and in my estimation as I read it, in liberal churches where people don't go to church anyway and then decided that maybe they ought to be religious for the next Sunday. So I, Now, maybe it was different in other areas, but that's, that's not what we found in our area. And that changed very quickly. About a month later, that was less. But we didn't have people that came to the church and got serious about Christ because of September eleventh In fact, I would say if anything as time went on, some people became more hardened. You know it was this kind of a thing. You know where was God on September eleventh? Yes, Tony yes. Yes.: Yeah. Well, that, Tony,'s what I was getting at this morning. That's what I thought as well. I thought people are going to say, "Boy, this is Islam, what a dangerous religion." In fact, that's exactly what happened. And there were articles about this in the New York Times, because what happened, fundamentalists, those of us who believe in an exclusive religion, were linked with what? fundamentalist Islam. We were the enemies. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And that, that's still astounding. It shows the perversity and the hardness of our hearts. Yeah. Another question? Or Tony, did you want to develop that more? Okay. Yes, John. I'm sorry. You know, I, I'm, what is the final cause? Twenty it 2,800? I don't think it's that many. It's, and that. that's not just... Yeah, it's but that's including the the people that were killed in the other in the Pentagon, and also in the in the plane crashes and so on. I think you're right. I think it's about 2,300. They really don't know exactly, but it's hovering around 2,300. Yeah, something like that. Yes. So. Yeah, in New York City, if you were going to work with social services, you had to be certified by them to do it. And and that's not bad. There were so many people who were wanting to capitalize on this that social services had to have a protective net. And so one of the things the staff from Redeemer asked us and others to pray for is that they would be able to get certified, and they were. That's that's the reason why Redeemer Church has been able to have inroads dealing with people that no others have had, because they have a certain number of, of licensed social workers who are Christians working for them. Yes, Dr. Garrison. What is this about the Muslims themselves? How does the Muslim world feel about what question is, how does the Muslim world feel about what ha- what's happened? You, know, you have to realize that, that Islam is not a... Um, it, it's not a it's not a monolithic religion. In the same way, we have liberal Protestants and we have conservative Protestants. There are there are some more liberal Muslims and more conservative ones. Within the Islamic world, there there is a push for a more uh, moderate and socially acceptable Islam, and that's what you see, for example, in Egypt. But the the extremists, that I believe represent exactly what the Quran is teaching, really want, that they see a moderate kind of Islam as their enemy, even as they see Western secularized religion as their enemy. So it would really depend on the group. But, but um, having been in the Middle East a couple of times, the Middle Easterners do not love America. <laughs> you need to realize that. We, we are regarded as, uh, as, as big bullies to, to the Middle East. And, uh, and that dynamic is very much at work today. Yeah, I don't know, Jerry. I can't tell you majority and minority. I think that the question among Muslims is how do you interpret the Quran. And having read large portions of the Quran, it seems to me that the extremists have got a better handle on what's said in portions of the Quran than the more moderate elements. But again, that's, that's an in-house debate. I could see them saying, yeah, but look at the Old Testament when it talks about wiping out the Canaanites. And so, you know, there's, a, there's interpretative questions you have to deal with. But the fact of the matter is the terrorists, the, 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 the extremists in, it, in, in the Muslim countries, uh, really are a very, very viable and potent force to be dealt with. It's why we really need to pray that, that the Lord might work, that there be a restraint of iniquity in the Middle East. I've got to go. Thank you for your time let's let's stand and let's pray. Our Father. We pray for our brothers and sisters at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in America, as even now they are working with so many who are in need. use the funds that have been that are being sent to them from Franklin Square and from other places so that they will be able to minister to the legitimate material needs of so many, but above all so that they might be an instrument by which the Gospel of Christ comes to others. We pray that You will make us prepared, that we will be able to deal with those, whether they are affected by terrorism or whether they are affected with terminal illnesses, whether tragic accidents should take family members. Our Lord, remind us that these are less well-known, but they are no less serious to the people affected by them. Please make us to be good neighbors and good friends to those around us, so that when others have no answers, we might be able to speak to them and show to them the love of the Lord Jesus, who faced death and who faced hell, and conquered both, that we might have life and have heaven. We pray these things with thanksgiving again, bowing ourselves before Your sovereignty and Your goodness and Your severity. We pray in Christ's name, Amen.